0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Wolt, and we are here for another Coffee Smarter session with the guy you wouldn't be surprised to find on your couch in the morning, Chris O'Brien. He is also the founder and owner of Coffee Cycle in Pacific Beach, which is the cafe that I have spent most of my late 30s in. Check out Coffee Cycle on Instagram at coffee-cycle. For today's episode of Coffee Smarter, I asked Chris about Geisha coffee. He very politely corrects me on the pronunciation, calling it Gesha. I was shocked to learn that Gesha coffee is named after a place, which, in retrospect, should have been obvious. That is the beauty of hindsight. Now for a little foresight, fill your coffee mug, because we're about to get into the show and get a little coffee smarter today. Week eight, Chris O'Brien. Welcome back. Let's talk coffee so that we can all get coffee smarter today. Not you. You're already coffee smartest.
1: Never. Never enough. Always need to be more. Always learning.
0: Yeah, we should get like some sort of like little trophy. Like they give you at like bowling or karate class or something that says coffee smartest. Like different. What if we created a belt system, but like a mug system? Like if you have the white mug, you're at the lowest level. If you have the yellow mug, you're up. We could go all the way up to like black mug, meaning, you know, you're, you're an
1: expert, you're coffee smartest. That would just stop you from washing your coffee mug, which is probably already a problem for you.
0: Oh no, I'm, I go the other way. I aggressively wash. Sometimes I wash it, then I'll make the coffee, put it in there and be like, did I wash this? And I'll dump the coffee out, wash it again, make a whole new thing of coffee.
1: Well, I feel coffee dumber right now from having listened to that. (laughs)
0: Hey, man, we just spent a year in a pandemic. Like, I'll wash my cup as many times as it takes <laughs> because I don't want to be in a situation where I risk giving up this opportunity to talk to you.
1: Oh, oh all right. Your flattery will get you everywhere. I turned it around.
0: <laughs> and I do want to talk about coffee today. Okay. And so, there's this term that I hear a lot and I associate it with fancy coffee. I don't know if I, it means good coffee, but I associate it with that. And it's generally more expensive coffee. But geisha, when I see the term uh, a geisha style coffee, what does that
1: mean? All right. Well, geisha coffee, or it's sometimes called geisha coffee instead, is, a, is an interesting phenomenon. You know, when we talk about what makes a coffee taste a certain way, there's a bunch of different factors to it. And, you know, the first factor that people, you know, sort of gravitate to is, is roast, light roast versus dark roast are going to taste different. Uh, another factor is where is it grown? Is it grown in Ethiopia? Is it grown in Costa Rica? Is it grown in Colombia? Is it grown in Indonesia? But that's going to have a significant impact on the way the coffee tastes. And then one of the other factors that we, we, we don't talk about necessarily as much, or at least on the consumer level we don't talk about as much, is genetics. Um, and the proper term for that usually is variety. Um, a lot of the time, you'll, you'll hear it said varietal, and you'll probably catch me at some point in this, this podcast, use the term varietal when I should use the term variety. But for the purposes of most people's talking, they're fairly interchangeable. And geisha, as we know it, is, is a genetic variety of the coffee plant, the coffee arabica plant. Coffee has been grown all over the world in all these coffee producing countries for a, a pretty long time now. We've been doing coffee the same way, more or less, for for a little while now. And and espresso machines and the introduction of cafe culture, Starbucks, you know, uh, those coffee chains, as opposed to just getting a cup of coffee at a diner or making coffee at home out of your Folgers can. You know, those coffee chains and cafes have changed the way we look at coffee um, and so that's what we talked about last season when we talked about first wave, second wave, and third wave coffee. And so in third wave, as we we talked about last season, we're celebrating farm origin and we're celebrating coffee as a fruit. So that sort of ties into us looking at the different genetic varieties of coffee. If you're working with a farm in Guatemala, Finca Santa Ana, you know, run by this guy, Fernando and you go to Fernando and you say, hey, I'd like to buy some Santa Ana coffee, you can get some bags of that coffee that are just from all over the farm, and they're all processed, watch processed, and they're all put in a bag together. But you might be able to pay him a little extra for him to separate out the Bourbon variety that he grows on the south side of the farm, or the Bourbon variety that he grows on the south side of the farm mixed with the Bourbon variety that he grows on the north side of the farm, or you might be able to buy a bag of the Cotura variety. Or maybe he's also got the Cotura and the Bourbon mixed together, but it doesn't include the Typica variety that he grows somewhere else on the farm. So all these names that I've dropped are all different classic popular grown coffee varieties that are pretty common in Latin America and in a lot of other places that coffee is grown. They're There's sort of a coffee family tree. And a lot of the ones we talk about, Keturah, Bourbon, Tipica, Katuai, they're all interrelated and they all have, you know, sort of history and origins of how they're bred and separated and looked at as different from their their brethren. Well, in Central America, we're talking, you know, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Panama, Costa Rica, all that. They have a big problem with some coffee growing. And, And it goes in South America as well. And the problem that I'm talking about is called Roya. Uh, and Roya is the term down there for coffee leaf rust. It's not rust like we'd see on, you know, the pipes in, in the bathroom. It's, uh, it's rust that's a form of like a mildew or a fungus that grows on the leaves of the, the coffee plants and has a terrible, terrible detrimental effect on the harvest of any particular farm if they get infected with Roya.
0: And I think, I mean, just to help relate to the idea of it, kind of like when you hear about invasive species, like invasive beetles and trees up here, similar yes. concept where like if you see Roya on a leaf somewhere, it's exponential. It just Absolute. spreads.
1: So it tends to come in waves every couple of years. So a bad Roya year, you know, in El Salvador is is an example because I, I, I have, I have uh, at least one friend who owns a fairly large coffee farm in El Salvador. And El Salvador, a bad Roya year can set her harvest back and reduce the amount of coffee she's able to produce and sell by easily 60%. So imagine you're running this farm, you're paying all these workers to pick coffee for you and process it and plant and prune and water or whatever it is that they're doing down there. And each of those pers- people have a family. They've got kids, wives, spouses, brothers, sisters, elderly parents, what have you. They're all supported by the income of this farm. And then the farm produces 60% less coffee than it did the year before and therefore has 60% less income. And, and 60% isn't even necessarily – I've heard figures as high as 80, 90. But in a well-managed bad Roya year, 40 to 60% is – Totally not unusual. So to imagine that farm owners' income just dropping by half or more, and still trying to support all the people that support the farm, you know, it's it's really um, really devastating to some of those countries and to some of those communities that are built around this this agriculture. You know, to manage things like Roya um, on the agricultural level, and I think we've maybe touched on it before, but I am not an agriculture expert. I make coffee, and I think I'm pretty good at it, and I, I've learned a fair amount about it. I'm not an agriculture expert, but to manage things like Roya at the farm level, there's a lot of things that they can do um, or that they try to do to manage it. You know, you want to treat the plants that have gotten infected with Roya. You want to remove the Roya-infected plants as much as possible. Um, you want to prevent it from spreading. Well, one of the ways that they want to help manage the impact of a Roya year is they want to see if they can breed a new genetic variety of coffee that is resistant naturally to this Roya. And so this Roya problem has been going on for long enough that they've been working on it for a long time. And rather than breeding a new variety at first, they sort of said, hey, what varieties can we find that are already resistant to this? And so, all coffee originally comes from Ethiopia. All the, all the genetic varieties that we talk about, all those names that I dropped earlier, all have their roots in Ethiopia. And they've moved throughout the world, and they've been bred, or they've adapted to different climates, but ultimately, they all come from Ethiopia. And so, organizations that were attempting to solve this problem earlier on said, Let's go back to Ethiopia and let's see if we can find a genetic variety of coffee that is better at handling this, this Roya thing. And back then, they would drive a Jeep out to these small Ethiopian towns. And then the four guys in the Jeep would get out and they'd run in four different directions and they'd go pick up seed stock. You know, They'd pick up coffee seeds from whatever farms they found in whichever direction they were chosen to run in. And so there was a Jeep that drove to the town of Gesha in Ethiopia and a runner went out from that Jeep and he found this variety. And when he brought it back to the organization that had sent him down there, they marked it as just Gesha because it came from such a small hamlet or village or farm remotely. The only data they had from it was that there was literally a guy that ran from a Jeep that parked in this town for a day. and so. Exactly whose farm it was that had this getcha variety is sort of hard to say, but the variety made its way to a farm in Costa Rica, and it just got mixed in with all the other plants there. But then the variety seemed to be somewhat hardy to the Roya, um, or at least the, the section of, of farm that those, those plants had been um, planted in was, was doing okay on a Roya year. And so that farm in Costa Rica sent it across the border into Panama. So the Don Pachy Estate, and the Don Pachy Estate was like, all right, oh, this is pretty good. And so then they shared that mix of genetic varieties with the Esmeralda Estate, uh, just down the road. And the Peterson family that was running the Esmeralda Estate was growing this, and they noticed that one particular variety in this sort of batch they had gotten in this this chain of events was was different. It was sort of a little bit. Um, It didn't produce a ton of cherries, um, but it had an interesting aroma to the blossoms. And so uh, the Peterson guy who was in charge of the farm at the time said, Hey, can you guys just pick only cherries from bushes that look like this shrub right here and try to isolate this genetic variety in this area of the farm? And can you gather those cherries and then the beans that come from it just in a separate lot? And so this is actually one of the earlier times that we saw farmers really pulling a specific genetic variety and setting it aside because the consumer coffee world was not in what we call the third wave yet. But this is sort of some of the founding seeds to it, eh? seeds at the farm level. He set it aside and he brewed it and it was a wash process that he, he, he processed it at and he roasted it at the farm and he brewed it. And he said, "Wow, it's so fruity and floral and beautiful and delicate. It almost tastes like a natural processed coffee. Did you guys process this naturally? And his, his employees said, no, this is really unique and special. And so that's where the Geisha variety comes from. Is the the Peterson family at the Esmeralda Estate Farm rechristened this this coffee as Geisha because they they traced it back to Don Pachi to Costa Rica, back to the I think it was maybe a Dutch company or uh, or um, it might have been some sort of international. They traced it back to Ethiopia, and they found that it was from a runner that came from this town Geisha. And they said, okay, well, geisha sort of sounds like geisha. That, that'll probably sell well. So they renamed it geisha and started to sell it as, as, a, as a special thing. And so what sets this coffee apart is, one, it's resistant to roya, which is fantastic. Problem is, is that it's a finicky enough plant in other ways and that it produces a small enough amount that it's not really practical for replanting a whole farm with. It just doesn't produce enough. But if you give it a lot of care and you really pay close attention to it, it's very labor intensive and it only really thrives in certain microclimates. If you pay attention to it, it'll be resistant to Roya and it'll produce this really cool, unique cup. So, because of the limited amount of places that it's produced, because it really only thrives in these small microclimates and only with this careful attention, because of the limited amount that's produced, because of the unique flavor profile that it creates, People have really started to seek this geisha out, and the, the geisha variety tends to create a lot of tea-like flavor. Jasmine tea is a really classic tasting note for a washed geisha, and tends to get a really lo- a lot of jammy fruit uh, fruit notes, a lot of like grape jelly layered with citrus. But it can taste a lot of different ways, just like any kind of coffee can. But those genetic traits tend to shine through almost no matter where it's grown, as long as it does thrive, and almost no matter what kind of processing. So it's a really unique coffee that we figured out through this interesting chain of events. And it's a really interesting one to know about because it really does actually highlight the struggles of some really, really challenged coffee farmers in Central and South America. It highlights how the lengths to which they've had to go to to combat these problems... And it shows that an incredible luxury product can be created out of this desperate search for something that will help them deal with this, this reoccurring problem.
0: Yeah, I'm amazed that of the hundreds and hundreds of coffee options that we have available, they all have a story behind them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like that, you know, like with some products, we create stories in in the name of marketing, but with coffee, there really are these kind of unique, adventuresque stories <laughs> behind a lot of these varietals, uh, varieties that we're that we're drinking every day. Yeah. Uh, I'm also amazed that I can ask you a question and then you can just talk for 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how I got so lucky to have like a podcast guest where I, I could, I think I could walk away and you, you could just keep going. It doesn't matter that I'm here. You just love sharing this information. And that's something I am truly grateful for and appreciate. And so Thank you uh, again. We've got one more of these episodes to go this season. And uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you one more time uh, for the show. And, you know, maybe five more times just in general.
1: All right. Yeah. Lifetime, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, let's not get too crazy.
1: Okay. All right. Well, it is really a treat uh, every time. And I'm just so happy to be here. And I am glad that you don't walk away for those 15 minutes (laughs) because you're my muse, Ryan. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I don't walk away I listen and then I listen again when I edit it and then I listen again when I put it out in the world and then I ask you again in like a month because I've already forgotten <laughs> you gotta hammer it into, the, into me until I get it so thank you again uh, and I'll see you again soon
1: alright next time
0: how many times have I referenced Chris's ability to expound on a coffee topic He really loves all things coffee, and I know he's having these conversations just about every day. I'm grateful he lets me record them. Chris talked quite a bit about La Roya, which is today's coffee vocab term. I'm going to clarify and provide some context for you. La Roya, or coffee rust, is an airborne fungus, which after this year we all know to take pretty damn seriously. Roya was first noticed in the 1860s in East Africa, and then the word began to spread when it started devastating coffee plantations in Sri Lanka. By the early 1930s, scientists had discovered four different versions of Roya. Fast forward to 1972, and more than 26 different varieties had been found, with a coffee industry panic occurring when it was first seen in Brazil, which, at the time, was producing 65% of the world's coffee. So we know that it is scary, but what exactly is it? It is a fungus that feeds on the living cells of a coffee plant, effectively stealing the plant's nutrients for its own reproduction. The different varieties have differing impacts, but version 2 is the most famous, known to be able to attack any type of coffee currently being grown. Roya is first seen as a spore that looks like a yellow or orange powder on the underside of the coffee plant leaves. It literally looks like rust, and I'll post some photos on roastwestcoast.com. Once the coffee plants are infected, the impacts of Roya are seen in the beans. They are smaller, and the flavors dramatically impacted. In particular, the sweetness is greatly reduced the beans appear to be at an immature state of ripeness, which causes major flavor issues when they are mixed in with traditionally ripe beans during harvesting, which will give an eventual brewed coffee a harsh or flat flavor. I want to thank Sustainable Food Lab, where I learned just a ton about Roya. I'll link to their website, sustainablefoodlab.org on roastwestcoast.com. And I'll be back next week with an interview with the team from Kotal Coffee and another coffee smarter with Siri from Lofty Coffee Company. Shout out to Roast Industry Partners, including Morea Coffee, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee & Tea, Steady State Roasting, Café La Terre, Coffee Cycle, and Moster Coffee. They help me keep the lights on, and if you need coffee, check them out. And I also want to thank First Light Coffee Whiskey for keeping coffee on my mind, even at happy hour, and Joe over at Cape Horn Coffee Brokers for his continued support of the Roast West Coast podcast. You can and will find links to all of those great businesses and friends of this show right on the front of roastwestcoast.com. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you've enjoyed it, I'd appreciate it if you would tell a friend, give it a share on social media, or become a paid subscriber. Those are the best ways to help us grow this show. This episode of the Roast West Coast podcast was written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope the show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough simulated sanity to make it through the day. And, of course... Always be sure to drink good coffee.